want you to We might not be back. I might be in jail. I might be anywhere. But when I leave, you can do my stand with the last words on my lips. That I am a revolutionary. Hey everybody, welcome back to our Wisconsin Revolution podcast. This is Anders and I'm back with Will this week. How you doing, Will? What up, party people? I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm here. So obviously this is the first podcast we've recorded since uh, the governor signed the state budget with 51 partial vetoes. Um, and a $99 billion state budget. That's a that's lot right. of money. That's a that's lot right. of money. That's a lot of money. And first, before we really get into this, I'm going to read um, our Wisconsin Revolution statement upon Governor Evers signing the budget. On Wednesday, Governor Evers signed the 2023-2025 Wisconsin state budget. While we understand the governor has limited options given the makeup of a gerrymandered legislature and no uncertain terms, this budget is an attack on the working families of Wisconsin. This budget failed to include much-needed funds for child care providers. By not keeping in the $340 million for child care, this budget is guaranteeing financial hardships on working families who struggle to keep up with the rising costs of child care. Cuts to child care isn't the only other ma- only major problem that is the cause for concern. Another is the increased per pupil funding to school vouchers. Every dollar that goes to school vouchers is a dollar that leaves public education. Many public schools already struggle to keep up with cost, and many school teachers have to pay for essential supplies out of their own pockets. By increasing per pupil funding to school vouchers, this budget is guaranteeing that those problems will be exacerbated. Additionally, they took local control away from communities in Milwaukee, directly contradicting their strong statement against SROs, school resource officers, maintaining uh, that the city allow police uh, back into their schools. Last but certainly not least, this budget does not address one of the main problems Wisconsinites face year after year, access to quality, affordable health care. Wisconsin remains one of the few states not to accept Medicaid expansion. As a result, tens of thousands of people who would otherwise qualify for Badger care are unable to obtain quality health care. There are many other problems in this budget that will undoubtedly hurt the working people of the state, but there are a few that these are a few that are the most concerning. Our Wisconsin Revolution stands firmly against this budget as it will do very little to progress the state forward. Will thoughts and feelings on the signing of the budget and the partial vetoes? Yeah, so obviously this Wisconsin has received pretty significant, I would say, national attention. Uh, because of the partial line vetoes that Tony Evers signed last week. Uh, I believe it was covered by, wasn't it, on Kyle Kalinske today? Um, I've seen coverage on Twitter from NBC National. I've seen CBS. I've seen every major publication. I believe the New York Times even uh, had a brief article covering it. Wisconsin's governor has one of the most, if not the most powerful pens in the country due to the ability to uh, line item veto whatever they want, I shouldn't say whatever they want. There are um, stipulations, but um, Wisconsin state state top state office has extraordinary latitude to reshape bills, specifically appropriation bills through the use of partial vetoes. As they're known, these vetoes are similar to the line item veto powers granted to governors of most other states. But Wisconsin's is uniquely powerful because unlike in other states, governors in Wisconsin can strike nearly any part of a budget bill, including sentences, words or in other cases even a single character or digit this is of course where the national attention came because tony evers uh in a in section 402 that read uh for the limit 
for the 2023-2024 school year and the 2024-2025 school year add $325 to the result under par. Now, Evers vetoed the the before 2023, the 24 school year and the 20 before the second 24 and then the final school year. So the new statement read for the limit for the 2023-24-25 add $325 to the result under par. Essentially uh, taking this $325 addition and extending it rather than being this two year budget, which by the way, I should have clarified earlier when I said $99 billion is for the two year budget. That is not one year, it's for the two year sure. budget. Um, but Evers has extended this for the next 400 years. Uh, and he was quite humorous about it on Twitter. He was posting, you know, the the stereotypical meme of him sitting there with a cup of coffee as, as a, a lot of conservative officials at the state level kind of lost their mind. And some something I'd like to ask you then, Anders, a conversation I'd like to have, because I think most people, most reasonable human beings are in agreement that it's really funny, uh, whether it's appropriate or it's not. Funny. That he did this, it, it's it's pretty pretty humorous, uh, and it's nice to see a Democrat finally kind of stepping up and using the power that they have afforded to them, rather than always kind of taking the well, you know, we need to we need bipartisan support, and we respect our our opposition, so we're gonna try to do this the right way, and we're gonna do this the way that it should be done. Like, no, you have this power, use it. It has been used in the past, most famously when Scott Walker issued partial vetoes in the 2017-2019 right. budget to include one that was dubbed the quote thousand year veto because he used his partial veto authority to turn a legislative deadline of December 31st, 2018 into December of 3018. So he quite literally made it a thousand year addition. No complaints from GOP operatives at the state level for that. Uh, but of course, when Tony Fair Evers enough. does this, it's a big well, problem. It's, it's, I think, obviously, you know, con congrats, Tony Evers. But when we talk about the large scale of this budget, first of all, I, I think, you know, great own on him for the $400 for the $400 um, tax policy is fantastic, but well done. Yes. Long-term well uh, you know, I, I don't think this, I mean, it, it's not a fair power. Uh, you know, you don't want a Walker to come back, you know, in two years and come and flip the script on you. Well, and there's a better example than Walker, even Anders. Uh, so Evers used a uh, line item veto 51 times in this budget bill, which is, again, not uncommon. In 1991, Governor Tommy Thompson set the record for line item vetoes, vetoes using 457. So right. here's that 400 number coming up again. Uh, and again, that, I guess that would be the question I have for you, Anders, is yes, it's well, funny that it happened but, now, but, but this conceptually i think this is this it's is a power that the governor should have. it absolutely is yeah. but i think in addition to that when we're talking about this great you know congrats on the 400 year school funding thing but you know you know what evers didn't bother to veto or the attacks on milwaukee public schools or to reinstall police officers into schools in milwaukee against the direct wishes of that community um you know it it to me I feel like, you know, I can see the rationale for this is progressive, you know, this is some sort of wielding, you know, the liberals wielding power for once. But I think even beyond that, I think that was that was kind of a cop out decision. He knew that if he vetoed it that way, it could take attention away um, from the other school choice issues with this budget, with the big increase to the voucher programs, with the the gouging of, of Milwaukee public schools, I think... Uh, to me, it's more of a performative thing 
which makes me less inclined to say, yeah, this is a power that we need to keep for the future. Because even if he did get something marginal about out of this, it seems ultimately a little bit performative to me. Um, you know, even though, I mean, it's obviously very important uh, that our schools are funded, but I think uh, a lot of the rest of this budget was a middle finger to our public schools. And we, we also, I think, honors have to touch on, obviously, the uh, veto action, including scraping the reduction for the second law. Uh, the conservative plan was to cut the four tax brackets down to three. He scraped that plan and he scraped the right. uh, tax cut for the highest income this earners was, in the state. This was very important. Which was, this yes, was very, very important. And uh, he, this has received significant coverage as well uh, because a lot of uh, Republican officials uh, and Republican operatives have been you know, accusing him of, oh, you didn't grant the middle class tax cut. You're screwing over the middle class, blah, blah, blah. Of course, they're not noting that the tax bracket <laughs> consists of earners earning between thirty six thousand and four hundred and five thousand per year. For you know, household all of income. my friends that are in, all of my middle class friends that earn four hundred thousand four hundred thousand dollars a year. Uh, so, so that is that is the mayor. I should clarify that that is the uh, married income. So so two household incomes. Uh, I believe single income was like three thousand to three seventy five. Right, but exactly, exactly. That's the point. These are not middle class. If you're making three hundred something thousand dollars a year, you are not middle class. There was a a really really humorous tweet from. Um, Rick Eisenberg, who is the president of the Wisconsin Institute of Law and Liberty, uh, you know, he's one of Robin Voss's puppet masters. <laughs> and he said, someone who makes 374K is probably quite comfortable, but they do not have the lifestyle we'd associate with being rich. They don't live like the Roy family, fictional television family. Uh, they are closer to an average taxpayer than they are to the people avid redistributionists complain about. That statement is hilarious on like 50 fronts. A, Daniel Bice noted that he earns about 441000 a year in total compensation. So he's significantly over that either way. B, to call someone making $375,000 a year quite comfortable when the median income in the U.S. is like 70 k and in Wisconsin it's like 60 k yeah. is disgusting. Uh, to compare it to a fictional, absurdly rich family is comically disingenuous. But then to note that these individuals are closer to the average taxpayers than they are to, quote, the people avid redistributionalists complain about, meaning, you know, the hundred millions and billionaires. He's saying the quiet part out loud that every worker in America is more united than the billionaires are. You can be right. insanely, insanely wealthy, earning a quarter million, half a million, a million dollars a year, and you are still closer to being broke than you are to being a billionaire. Quit simping for these people. You will never be a billionaire. You have to exploit wealth right. and the labor of others to get to that point. We, as the working class, need to stick together. That's right. And on that note, we're going to switch over to our interview now with the OWR Environmental Committee leadership. We're going to be talking about the Wisconsin Conservation Congress. So stick with us. So we say, we always say the Black Panther Party, that they can do anything they want to do. We might not be back. I might be in jail. I might be anywhere. But when I leave, you can do my stand with the last words on my lips. And I am a revolutionary. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Our Wisconsin Revolution podcast. Will and I are now joined by both Sam and Adam, who are the chairs of the OWR Environmental Committee. How are you guys doing tonight? Warm, but doing good. Yeah, the weather is relatively good for now. Hopefully we're avoiding smoke and crazy heat waves. But other than that, pretty good. Yeah, so 
we brought you on to talk a little bit about the OWR Environmental Committee's great work holding the Wisconsin Conservation Congress accountable. Um, I know, so you guys have been leading a petition, uh, a letter campaign that has almost 12,800 letters at this point. You're almost there to your goal. Uh, talking about transparency um, and inclusivity and accountability and the lack of those things with the Wisconsin Conservation Congress, their unwillingness to follow basic procedures to allow allow people a simple seat at the table. Um, Adam, could you just start by giving a little bit of a picture? What is the Wisconsin Conservation Congress? What are the types of issues that they discuss and decide and you know what has kind of led you all to make that your primary focus of your work right now <clears throat> yeah the wisconsin conservation congress was created by legislative mandate by the state legislature well over 50 years ago um, it's the only one of its kind in the united states so we're the only state that has one like this and the uh basic premise of it the mission statement that the legislature crafted for it was uh, essentially that it is supposed to be the citizen representative body to give citizen input from the state to citizens of the state of Wisconsin in all wildlife, environmental, state land, and state waterway issues. Um, and then they have their spring hearings uh, where people at each county level vote on resolutions that the DNR committees put up and the WCC committees put up and citizens can put up for vote uh, upon passage of those they are supposed to then be forwarded on to a wcc and this is where it gets murky <clears throat> onto a wcc committee who then is supposed to discuss it further finalize it and pass it on for formal recommendation to the natural resources board as policy to be submitted to the state legislature and the dnr um, there are a lot of challenges in that process because, you know, we can get into more <clears throat> specifically, it doesn't function that right. way. <laughs> well, fair enough. So, um, Sam, in, in a lot of your guys' recent efforts with the Wisconsin Conservation Congress, which issues specifically do they spend a lot of their time on and what have you guys been trying to address um, in, in your work with them? Um, with the Wisconsin Conservation Congress, it's been a lot of different issues, um, as at least as far as we're trying to address. Um, there's a ton of important environmental issues going right on right now with climate change, agriculture, animal conservation, soil quality, water quality. All of those things are important, but the roadblock that we've been in engaged mostly is with kind of the deeper structure of how the Congress is created, who will naturally gravitate towards those positions right now. Um, and that is predominantly um, hunters and fishers and those kind of business owners in that sector. And they've been in power long enough now where they've really created an entire system that just reinforces those perspectives. And then that kind of knocks out all the other perspectives in Wisconsin. Um, and it's really sad because you know, the viewpoints that they have is it's a mi minority view um most people are not going to be very passionate about um say hounding um and bears and killing bears and yet that issue 
is one of the things that is actually on the DNR website for the Wisconsin Conservation Congress. You like look at you learn about Wisconsin Conservation Congress and there's like a history tab. And then one of the tabs is how to like sign up to hunt for bears with hounds. And there's no other tab about like how to engage in good conservation practices, how to care about the soil and water. No, it's just about bears. And that is on the DNR website. And it just illustrates the clear conflict of interest at the top that is unfortunately condoned seemingly by the DNR. And when you have that just blatant conflict of interest um, ingrained at the top of power there, every other issue gets suppressed and ignored, even though it's, you know, a minority group that's kind of taken over the you know broader message of this is supposed to be about citizens of Wisconsin from different backgrounds coming together. And you just don't see that. And we've been kind of working between should we engage with the system and try and get people elected? Or mm-hmm. as you've seen with our statement, which is now we honestly, we need to get rid of this Congress if it just will not function the way it is intended to. And we're kind of trying to do both. And that's a balancing act. But the statement has been more aggressive and saying we need to get rid of this if it's not going to function. It, it sounds to me like a lot very similar to the controlled opposition argument that you hear at the national level, where passionate, engaged, energized individuals who want to make a, a positive change in their communities are being redirected or redeflected into an entity that makes them feel like they have an ability to contribute or make change. But because the entity itself is controlled by the interests of the powers that be, they're really just being shepherded into a a false sense of of accomplishment so that they stop fighting the good fight. uh, And instead, uh, you know, all their energy is redirected towards what's essentially a dead end. Yes. Yes. And and I I, want to say there are some good things that have happened. There was um, a lot of citizen resolutions that involved like getting I think it was fishing slot limits, which is actually a very important thing to involving wildlife conservation. And that gained some traction. And, you know, they worked with the DNR. So there's some avenues where you do get a good feedback um, on pressing issues, but the vast majority of them don't go anywhere. So, yeah, I would absolutely agree that this is a way to get people to feel like they are involved when in reality that energy is kind of being wasted because those people at the top do not have those interests at all in mind. The, the interesting thing is if when you look at the data, though, the DNR and the state of Wisconsin's own data, and I love, I love to use the data against them on this, is you have, you know, basically you divide the state between consumptive users and non-consumptive users as the terminology they use. Consumptive users are basically those who consume you know, by hunting, trapping, fishing, non-consumptive users would be people that are not engaged in those activities, but still could partake in, you know, like getting a state park permit or, you know, hiking, biking, things like that. <clears throat> but the data, their own numbers is 12% of the state population is consumptive users. 88% are non-consumptive users. And so when we look at the the policy track record of the WCC really over the last several decades, um, you see this huge skew toward 
the 12% over the 88%. And when the 88% have tried to get more involved and get more things passed and get on the WCC, the WCC throws up hurdles so that they're inhibited in doing so. And, and by doing that, are in direct violation of their own mission statement and again created by the state legislature but also a varying list of um, violations uh, of their own code of conduct and code of procedures and doing what they do we on the committee you know we've utilized what they had was called the three county two-year rule where if you put resolutions forward in three counties or more two years in a row and get them passed they should skip over this WCC committee roadblock and go straight to recommendation to the NRB. And so, and we were fairly successful at, at pushing that through. So then what did the WCC did? They threw out the, the three year two, or the three year two county rule or the three county two year rule, I'm sorry. They got rid of it. Um, but at the same time saying they want to get more involvement in the WCC. So it's kind of talking out of both ends. Mm -hmm. um, the committee structure, the WCC committees that I referenced earlier, that if you p propose you, and you get a resolution passed, say, in, Mad in Dane County or out of Gamey County, for example, <clears throat> you will then get notification to appear in front of the county of the WCC or the WCC committee that oversees that area. Like if it's fishing, it'll be like uh, waterways and things. Um, and you have to argue with them on why your resolution is valid and should get forwarded to the NRB for policy recommendation. Despite the fact that, you know, you could have 90% of the people in the state voted for these resolutions. And what we find is when it's a non-consumptive user resolution, authored resolution, the majority of them get voted down by the WCC committees. So they kill it. So it doesn't even get through. And so time and time again, we've had pro wildlife, pro environmental, for example, resolutions get through by predominant vote at the county level and squashed by these committees. And the problem is, is special interest is um, group is very much in control of the WCC. I talk a lot about the Wisconsin Bear Hunters Association and they predominantly are take have taken over the uh, WCC and particular WCC executive committee members are all Wisconsin Bear Hunters Association members and those are the hounders. Hmm. I see. Well, so you guys you've talked you just touched on this a little bit Adam, but you were talking a lot about in this letter campaign kind of the even before you get to the environmental issues they're failing to address an inability to address just basic procedure and you talk about not allowing citizens to make public comments at district leadership council meetings um violating their their own court code of procedures violating roberts rules um and open meetings laws so what have kind of like these deceptive techniques been what have your personal experiences been in interacting with these people and what have your uh, we can start with sam yeah what have your personal experiences uh been with kind of their 
um, dishonesty and procedure. One one thing that comes to mind immediately for me, just because one of the executive members actually lives in Fox Lake, which is a small town in Wisconsin where I live. Um, his name's Dale Moss, and he's the uh, secretary for the, uh, I believe, committee leadership. And he's supposed to have meeting minutes for these meetings that, of course, we want to see. We want to know what they're doing. But uh, there was a meeting a couple months ago that we were in, and people were kind of like asking, like, Hey Dale, why have the, there been no like minutes for like the past couple of years? Um, and then his excuse was, "Yet, yeah, sorry, I have I've been having health problems, so I haven't been able to um, you know put these down." And people have been hounding him about it, and he's done nothing to change that. And you know, the it's hilarious because you would think if like if he can't do his job, someone should replace him, but. It's not about him being competent. It is just about him having the correct ideology that fits the leadership that they want. The being good at your job, being, you know, transparent, breaking laws, that doesn't matter. As long as you're supporting the consumptive interests, you're good. Um, and there's more examples of this in other committees as well. Um, but it's just, it's funny. He lives right next to me. Um, and it's just like, crazy that wow that's like my neighbor um and just breaking rules breaking laws um, well, and adam kind of touched on that a little bit earlier how the organization says it wants engagement right but what it really means is it wants the right engagement which to it means people who think like me we don't want young people we don't want environmentally conscious people involved no 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 that's not who i want i want somebody who's just going to parrot my talking points and we need to keep getting them involved i see eerie similarities to essentially the youth movement at the at the national stage uh, for electoral politics in and of itself how do we get people involved how do we get them involved and then when you figure out how to get them involved no we don't want to do it that way because that doesn't push our agenda right it's the exact same concept but uh, a microcosm at, at the state level of wisconsin instead of uh, at the national level yeah adam do you want to talk about some of your personal experience with with um you know their their la procedure or lack thereof i guess it probably <coughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I for a number of years, I was actually a uh, Milwaukee County delegate to the WCC. So I've had the um, an interesting, I'll be polite, um, experience of being within their inner workings. Um, I mean, a part of it is, and it, it continues at most county uh, spring hearings, is uh, time and time again, you will have individuals that will come to these hearings and get up in front and talk about their position for our con on a resolution or will get up and introduce themselves to run for a delegate position and they get shouted at by the consumptive users in the audience and it's always the same thing ah sit down and shut the hell up uh you're not a hunter you're not a trapper you know do you fish do you have a hunting permit ah you know, just sit down and shut up and that's largely been tolerated that kind of negative atrocious behavior <clears throat> and that in itself by the wcc individuals who are there they're supposed to stop that immediately that is a violation of their code of conduct um, at the state convention which is the following month after the spring hearings uh, where also they've 
squashed resolutions that have been passed at the county level on the state convention floor, which is a violation. Um, they, when you get up and they've done this to me when I was a delegate, I would get up and talk on resolutions and, at the state convention and the same thing. Well, we know you, you like wolves and you're a wolf lover and you don't hunt. So sit down and shut up. We don't want, we don't get care what you have to say. You know, I would keep talking of course, but you know, it, again, violation and the executive committee sits up on this big table in front of everybody at the convention is supposed to enforce that never anything said <clears throat> so when we as a committee for example then have gone out and tried to recruit people to run for delegate positions a lot of them have said no because we've gone to these spring hearings and we feel intimidated um <clears throat> especially women uh because when you go into these hearings it i don't want to sound ageist but it's true demographically the majority of people in these hearings come in camo um, and our old white guys and very minimal amount of women present and they treat women atrociously so a lot of women who would be great on the WCC don't run because they feel intimidated because they try to keep them away from it um, so that a lot of that has been witnessed um, I've witnessed people getting kicked off of committees that they serve on and they're in the WCC and they serve on WCC committees getting kicked off committees because they are not hunters and um, they tended to vote no on some of the hunting resolutions these committees talked about. We just had a committee member uh, this past week uh, get kicked off the bear committee and replaced with a hounder and that's a violation when they do that as well because according to their procedural code of conduct you're supposed to only be able to be kicked off a committee when you are a sitting delegate by a majority of vote of the committee one and you they also have to show that you violated the code of conduct and our committee member last week never violated the code of conduct and they, the committee didn't vote on it to kick her off of it. She got an email saying the committee's kicked you off and replaced you with this other individual. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's just consistently done. <clears throat> and then they, they do play around. They claim they want more involvement at spring hearings. But pre-COVID, what they would do with hearings is they would put them on like a Monday night. Um, and they wouldn't have anything online. It would be in-person, everything. And it would be starting at like 6 p.m. And these meetings would go five hours. You know, you get out 11, 12 o'clock. So people wouldn't go. Or they would go for like the first hour or so and then leave. And then they would put the important resolutions, the citizen resolution debates, at the end. So nobody's there to vote on them. And, you know, that was their way to suppress, suppress, suppress. <clears throat> the other thing I witnessed firsthand was <clears throat> you have basically their version of an executive council. Uh, executive council is each district uh, in, in counties. You can have like three, four, five counties will make up a district. <clears throat> each district gets to get together at the convention and appoint two of their members from their county delegates to serve on the executive council. Um, I, when I was on it, I was one of the Milwaukee delegates on the executive council. And at the state convention, with, a, with no warning, <clears throat> they put forth a resolution and stripped Milwaukee County of its 
district status and forced it to merge with all the other counties in southeast Wisconsin. They gerrymandered it. Yeah. So, you know, and I argued on the floor until they had a DNR warden come up and basically say, oh, no, go sit down, um, because I tried to stall that vote. Um, But what that does is when you look at just per, per, you know, per person, per capita in the state, you have people in like the northwest part of the state, that district, I think it's district two, uh, has an eighth of the population as now District 10, which is all of southeast Wisconsin. But the northwest, that district gets two delegates, and southeast Wisconsin gets two delegates, and they each get one vote. And that executive council is really powerful as far as resolutions and delegates and everything else that they do. So they, you know, they minimize urban votes by doing that yeah well i mean it's it's classic corporatist anti anti-democratic uh actions i mean you know i i say gerrymandering but it's i mean it all comes from the same playbook and at every level of government people are willing to exercise you know to so it's the same way the incredulous extent to keep people quiet and to keep people out of the rooms where they're making the decisions and it's 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 shocking even at kind of a local level to see it can contaminate and get so toxic and rotten well one of the interesting thing is on the floor one of their justifications for stripping milwaukee county's status was that they felt milwaukee county citizens weren't showing enough interest in the wcc process right. um you know I, I argued specific issues that for example within the urban arena in milwaukee that we face that are of environmental issue wise and i invited the delegates at the state convention to come to milwaukee and i would show them these things and still they voted it down the only other um county in essence that supported us milwaukee county in that fight was dane county right shocking and the the other real interesting more recent was the uh, past spring hearing i was going to run for election again um and they got wind of it i got a email from the uh, wisconsin conservation congress uh official with the dnr and was informed that a grievance was filed against me by the milwaukee county delegates of the wcc regarding me running on the grounds of residency uh, and their whole argument was that I own my mom's house in Dane County, um, so that I don't have can't have, don't have residency in Milwaukee County. Despite the fact you know I'm voter in Milwaukee County, I've lived in Milwaukee County for nine years. You know mm-hmm. I'm just my mom has health problems, and I'm a good son and bought her a house in Dane County and take care of the property taxes and everything for her. Um, and they they sent me this without enough time to appeal it prior to the actual spring hearing right i did appeal it though and two days after the spring hearing i get another email from the wcc rep with the dnr saying basically oops that shouldn't have been done that way i'm sorry you can run but it had already gone past two days damage is done right yep 
Well, what, can can you talk a little bit about like what is the check in the balance on these people? Like, you know, you talk about they they essentially report to the legislature through the DNR. So, are there people on the DNR receiving end of this that are also that have the same interests as the people that lead the WCC that kind of help them carry their message through? Sort of. I mean, less so now than under the Scott Walker era. Sure. <clears throat> and because uh, one of the problems was during Scott Walker's era, he eliminated the science division from the Department of Natural Resources and cut the fiscal budget for the DNR by almost 50%. He then appointed Kathy Stepp as the DNR secretary, who's property developer. <clears throat> and Kathy Stepp then took uh, the pretty atrocious approach that the DNR of removed not only tribal members, but any kind of science advisors from any of the DNR committees. Wow. Um, including like Jan Bear and Wildlife, you know, Wolf, Waterways. <clears throat> so <clears throat> when we got rid of Walker, the DNR has been slowly trying to rebuild itself from that complete decimation. I mean, they lost uh, easily 40% of their staff during that era. They forced some of the leading wildlife biologists into forcible retirement, including the state's leading wolf biologist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, there are some people in the DNR that do kind of back what's going on with the WCC, and there are others that do not. Um, a lot of it is the argument they use as a money component of it that the state is addicted to uh, hunting and trapping and fishing license fees. Um, you'll hear that at the WCC meetings as well, too. Well, you know, we pay all these fees, and <clears throat> so we deserve to be able to do this, this, and this. Um, but even that fiscally, when you look at the DNR's own stats, is not entirely accurate. But the DNR follows that because the DNR then has to has to answer to the sporting and heritage committee at the state assembly which (laughs) used to be the state environmental committee so it tells you something how they changed the name um you know so that you know they they answer to that committee so they know that they have to kind of toe the line with the state assembly committee or it risks budget cuts again to the department resources bottom line so instead of um looking at so how do we grow the revenue track from non-consumptive users, which would make sense to look at that because it's 88% of the population, the 100% of the dialogue with the DNR and the WCC and the legislature is how do we grow that 12%, the the hunters and the trappers? Well, Sam, so what are, bigger picture, we've talked about wolves and bears. What are what are the large impacts? You know, you mentioned how this is a really important body to be focusing on and to be and to be holding accountable because of climate change. Long term, if if the WCC can't be held accountable and are are continue to be allowed to run unchecked, um, what would the impacts be for Wisconsinites? Um, it's heart challenging. Um to figure out exactly what those would be. But I can tell you, you know, with the WCC acting the way it is and continuing to do that in the future, one thing I know that would continue to happen is you would see a lot more young people who 
otherwise could be engaged in a very direct citizen-led program that could inspire people and create grassroots change um, out of the history of Wisconsin from like Aldo Leopold and John Muir, who are environmental giants who grew up here. Um, but what instead would happen and is continuing to happen is that people are falling into that doomerism that, you know, is so common among young people. You see mental health um, challenges through that. And of course, you're seeing a lot less people believing in actual environmental engagement and actually being able to fight against climate change and to take on these systems of power that are extremely entrenched um, in, you know, the levers that actually create change already. Um, and then, you know, if, if that system were, you know, replaced with a much more democratic one, you can legitimately have world changing impacts, even as a state, by starting up um, sustainable agricultural programs that can you know, you can get research funding for and you can have that transferred into, say, the global south. Um, and of course, Wisconsin is, you know, a leading research institution focused on improving agriculture and soil quality and water quality. And if you have, you know, a state legislature and a citizens grassroots movement that are really kicking ass at that, it can it can change the world. It's hard to pinpoint exactly how much that would be, but it, it can make a world of a difference it can save countless lives um, and that can start here um so the impacts would be incalculable really um and it is extremely frustrating um i know like a year ago when i over a year ago when i first got involved with this i saw a lot of promise in what you know the mission statement was for the wcc the historical roots of it were all great and the fact that we're the only state to do that made it extra interesting and then you do kind of like once you see how things really work, you do kind of fall into that, you know, doomerous thought pattern that is, you know, so counterproductive. Um, but, you know, there's you should never lose hope completely. Um, even dismantling the WCC might lead to positive changes within the DNR. And then the uh, NRB um, just this past year has been undergoing a lot of changes. Um, so that is it's something to be hopeful about. Um, I know Adam had talked about this at previous meetings, how the NRB needed Native American perspectives on that board. And we actually did just get that with uh, Tony Evers appointing the first, I believe, Native American member to the NRB. And um, so crazy. things that's the first member. Yes, that's things, things are changing in some ways, but with, with the WCC specifically, there's still a long, long ways to go. Well, the, the interesting thing, too, is the issues that <clears throat> this has impacted that are not even just specifically, you know, like environmental in nature. Um, good example is um, private property rights um, and hounding, inherently tied issue. Uh, if you have a private property, say you don't have a house in a rural area, some woods in the area, and you are spending time out in your backyard with your family, little kids. You want to let your little kid play in the swing set in the backyard. If it's during hounding season or hounding training season, be very careful because they got passed with the help of the WCC, a state law that allows them to run up to a pack of six hounds at any time across your private property, at any time, day or night, 
as long as they claim those hounds are chasing prey. And those hounds, it's not like, hey, puppy dog, come here, I want to pet you. These hounds are in full chase mode and are thinking prey. You know, it's that prey, predator prey instinct. It's so they're not going to be like, you know, little kid, can I pet the hound? Uh, the hound's going to bite you if you if you try to do that. It's a very dangerous situation, and it's it impacts private property rights. You don't have the uh, right to have free reign and enjoyment of your own backyard in those scenarios. <clears throat> the other example is um, trapping and hunting in on state lands um, at hours where non-consumptive users, again, 88% of the population what, may want to go enjoy things go bird watch go hiking through the state park um be very careful uh do not walk your dog in the state park during those times there have been uh, numerous cases of people walking their dogs and the dog getting shot by a hunter and the hunter gets off by just saying whoops i thought it was a coyote i was hunting coyotes um, but the rule is <clears throat> that they got again passed with the help of wcc <clears throat> is that they're not supposed to fire uh i think it's 100 feet from a state trail logically though the law of physics is if you're shooting 100 feet toward from a state trail and if you're shooting toward it that bullet has to hit something to stop um but we don't look at physics and logic apparently right um and the same thing with traps there's been hundreds and hundreds of cases and vets have talked about this repeatedly of domestic dogs coming in to vet clinics horribly named and many of them having to be put down because they go 10 feet off the trail and they get stuck in a, a, a trap they get stuck in a snare they get stuck in a leg hole trap because um, they can set traps off these state trails within 10 feet of the trail so crazy it's, it's a safety issue as well i mean it's absolutely insane but you know those are other issues that people would hopefully look at and even the fiscal aspect of it <clears throat> we're all paying for the wcc to function they're literally a budget item from the dnr budget that's passed by the state legislature so you know it's coming out of everyone's pocket we're all shareholders in the fiscal ramifications of the budgetary process with the wcc right well i guess the the last thing to say um is that the environmental committee at owr is doing all this great work again nearly you are within 100 letters of your goal of 12,800 um to, to hold the Wisconsin Conservation Account Conservation Congress accountable. Uh, you can learn more about the Environmental Committee at OWR's website, rwisconsinrev.com. If you go to the events page, you'll be able to sign up for the next meeting. Um, thank you, Adam and Sam, so much for your time. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you all next week. Yep, thank you. Thank, thank you. So we say, we always say the Black Panther Party, that they can do anything they want to do. We might not be back. I might be in jail. I might be anywhere. But when I leave, you're going to know my stand with the land.